How about you? You been out? I was. I got out. Like uh, we touched on this a little bit. I got out. Um, so I said to my uh, Caroline, my daughter, my oldest one. She's just starting her internship this week, so um, she had the the weekend free, and I was like, I'm going to go hike hike on um, probably Saturday or Sunday. And I was like, why don't you pick a hike on your 4,000-footer list? So she's sort of doing the 52 with the views and the 4,000-footer. She's got like maybe 15, 52 with the views done. And I think she's got like about – she had 19 4,000-footers. So I was like, pick a 4,000-footer and we'll go. So I was like, just let me know which one you want to do. I'll do whatever one, no problem. So then she came back and she was like, "Um, I want to do Canon. And I was like, well, let's do the Carters instead. <laughs> so she's like, Ted, you told me to pick one, and I picked it, and I scoped it all out, and then you like completely veto me. And I That's was like, hilarious. I'll never do it again, but we're not that doing the, the can. We're not doing can. The ultimate mansplain. You, you could have said, I'll meet you at the top. I'll take the tram, and I'll see you at the top. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I hate to judge, but I was like, why? if we're in Freiburg, like, why would you decide to go all the way to the other side of the state? Like, do something, you know. I had the mansplain her like why she was wrong. <laughs> it was so bad dude now so. you know what it feels like it's like over here we don't want to go past the notch it's just like it I seems know, like it's a million miles away i know i know it is brutal but anyway so i'm sorry caroline if you're listening but we so she get, she had a good time giving me a hard time about the fact that i completely discounted her opinion but i was like let's do the carters i was like i want to do mount height oh that's a, that's a great choice though it's that's a beauty from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Test, test, test. And we're live. And I'm rolling too. All right, episode 61 stomp. Welcome back. (laughs) I feel like I'm 61 after last weekend. Seriously. Drag me in the middle of the woods by myself. (laughs) My headlamp trying to get me killed. We'll talk about that later though. Man, yeah, I feel like I'm like getting over jet lag. Like today's the first day I feel as though I'm back to my normal energy level. He was so stressing. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you take ownership on something and uh, it's a different level of stress for sure. But uh, what a great weekend. Yeah. We'll talk about it later in the show. So he's talking about this stupid, crazy Lodge to Dodge event that he organized. So went off without a hitch. Pretty much. Yep. Yes. Pretty much. Thank God. A few hitches. My, I, for some reason, I, I had to deal with all the hitches. I suppose. <laughs> you it's showed up just in time, but uh, it was all like providential. It's perfect timing for everything. Yes. Yeah. Fate. All right. So show 61 here. So we're well into our old age here with the show now. So we'll, we'll keep moving along. We don't seem to be running out of topics. So um, 
couple of updates here. Um, Cheswick, who was on the show, when was he on the show? Oh my God, he was maybe like a month before he left. So he left sometime in April. So I'm thinking a month or so before that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll link the um, show that he was on. But Cheswick is out doing, he's a pretty prolific through hiker that was on the show. So he's out doing the um, Great Western Loop. And I actually didn't read this note, Stomp. I don't know. Can you describe where he is and what he had to say in his note to us? I've been trying to keep the listeners up to date, and I sent him a message saying, hey, we can't share your stories. Um, so it's these really random and just, um, you know, just these posts he puts up there that really don't give any detail. So I don't know where he is, but I do know that he experienced about 500 miles of deep snow. Um, he sent me a text directly saying, dude, I just broke out of the snow. The last 500 miles have been snow. So he started in Arizona. So I'm not, okay. I, I really don't know where he is now. He doesn't post too sporadically. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a well, he's a probably. Trip. I'm assuming he's probably well along um, on the Pacific Crest Trail at this point. I would think so. Yeah, but he's cruising. So, well, he's, yeah. He made a note of uh, telling me that you know it's like now that the snow is gone, um, I'm cruising. He's got his legs. He's making quick miles. So hopefully we'll get a uh, a little more detailed update soon. Yeah. And I know that um, the other our other past guest is on the Pacific Crest Trail with his wife Matt, who goes by. He was originally his trail name was Pawsey, and now I think he goes by Quad. He he does updates on TikTok, and I see him and his wife. They they're probably at like the five hundred mile mark of the PCT at this point, so they're just plugging away. Wow, you know I've noticed a lot of people doing it this year online. Yeah, yeah, and I have to double check with um, Ben from the Hiking Buddies, but I think I picked up that, so Ben and Lindsay were on an episode with us probably in the in the 20s or, or maybe even in the teens, and Lindsay, I think, is out on the Appalachian Trail. I'm not, I'm not sure on that, but I'm pretty sure I saw something Ben had written that she was, she was out there, so I'll have to double check on that. Maybe we can catch up with her and get a report. Sounds good. People are looking for bigger and better things up in the yeah, ante. Yeah. yeah, they are. And then I, one other thing I picked up, I, I had this as a note here, is that um, there's a, a, a prolific hiker. She's a triple crown hiker, which means she's hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide, and the... PCT. Her name's Dixie, so her YouTube channel is Homemade Wanderlust, and she's actually on trail right now, basically section hiking the Eastern Continental Trail. So you know that trail that Cheswick did on the East Coast that combines like the Florida Trail, the AT, and then north up into Canada. She's, I think, doing a section right now where she's connecting the Florida Trail to Springer. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. So she's, she's picking up. So have to have her on. I don't know. She's a big she's a big celebrity. I don't know if she'd come on. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. we don't do big celebrities here, so sorry. 
Well, we've had a few, I think. We're, we're all humble pie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, next note here, Stomp, I, there was some chatter on social media that uh, Lincoln Woods Trail was closing, and I, I saw this come through, and like I, I think there was a lot of people that just accepted it for what it was, and like what actually ended up happening was the, the people that were saying Lincoln Woods Trail was going to be closed were getting out a little, little too far in front of their skis. So there is a um, Forest Service project tracking website where you can review like prod projects that are proposed and what their statuses are and all this information. And one of the projects for for the Forest Service that's under review at this point is a repair of Lincoln Woods Trail about a half mile down from the the entrance point and there's some i think some drainage and some um, erosion going on there that they would have to fix and this would result in them having to close the entire trail which i mean that trail is like the entrance way to the pemi right and gets thousands of hikers over the course of a week so it's a big deal mm-hmm. i was kind of I, I had a couple of people message me and they were like you know this is crazy what do you think and i i was like i'm, I'm skeptical that they're going to close that trail in the middle of the summer without like any other notice. And I was like, well, if I see like a, a, a news report from the forest service, then I would be more inclined to believe it. And it sounds like what's going on is that there is a proposal for, for them to do this work and it would require them to close the trail, but it hasn't been finalized. So nothing's going to happen this year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. On your notes, it says East side trail. Are you talking about the primary uh, rail? track or east side no so i put down some notes here stomp because i wanted to ask your opinion if the if this does so next year supposedly like this work may may get approved if they do in fact close lincoln woods and you've got to get into the pemi i wanted to just sort of bounce some questions off of you because i'm not familiar with this but like i know that east side trail where you, you know, instead of going over the bridge from the Lincoln Woods parking lot, you can take the east side trail. And I have camped out past the Bond Cliff Junction where that old railroad bridge is. If you keep going past that, you know, there's some spots along the river. And I've scouted out that river area there. And maybe it was just low running or whatnot but i felt like it was it was doable like you could potentially cross from the east side trail across the pemi to get to that bond cliff trail area now i know that it's like dangerous and we don't want to recommend that anybody try this unless it's really really low and safe but i didn't know if you had any any details on that i really don't know myself it's like the one area of the pemi that i've not ventured into you know um you know, we've gone out partway for missions and whatnot uh, on east side, but I've not gone past the junction of uh, Boncliff. Yeah, I have no idea what's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's bas- And I have. I've gone gone in there, and when you go past the junction of Boncliff on the the western side of the Pemi, it's it's an old abandoned wilderness trail, and you know the, you can keep going for pretty far. It's it's like an old railroad trestle and i'm assuming the railroad just followed the river Mm -hmm. and then on the other from the west side i've been able to sort of scout out what the pemi looks like and it looks like you know when i was out there it wasn't flowing very hard and it looked like it was doable like you could conceivably break through 
and you know come over from the east side and cut across in that section but i read online people talking about that and saying you know it's really dangerous and that you have to you know really know what you're doing or keep an eye on it and hit it when it's 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 a really low point but i just didn't i was curious if you had any experience in that area but i guess not yeah i don't yeah i mean take a peek at a map but uh yeah your guess is as good as mine all right. Well, then the other ideas for entry points. So people don't, you shouldn't freak out if Lincoln Woods closes because I think there's a whole bunch of options for entry points. I mean, you can you can certainly come up, um, you know, the flume slide and then come down Osseo and, and start your loop that way. Or you can come up through Franconia Ridge and start your loop. So there's a million different spots where you can start your your loops, I think the one the one big issue you're going to run into if the Lincoln Woods Trail does get closed out is that like a Zealand's Bond Traverse is not going to happen. Like that'll suck because you'll have to, basically your option would be you do Zealand to Bonds and then that might be the option where you could scout and say like, could I cross on the East Side Trail or you just decide to go up Osseo and, and make it a longer day. What percentage of uh lincoln woods are they shutting down potentially like the whole thing they'll have to shut the whole uh, my my understanding from the project plan is that they would have to shut the whole trail like down miles? at the half mile mark yeah so i mean well i'm assuming that if you can get past the work that they're doing like you can be on the trail like so if you had to like turn up osseo You'd be able to do that well before you get to the the part where they're doing construction. Right. It's just, but I'm just surprised that they wouldn't factor in like a way to get past the work that they're doing temporarily. It's mm. a great way to cut down traffic. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Or push traffic to somewhere else. Yeah, because I was thinking like I'm looking at the map here, thinking like, hmm, I guess you could do old Osseo up well back and then connect, but then how are you going to get out on the other side? So it might be a time for uh, traverses rather than loops. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it could be. But um, but anyway, so that's one project that they're talking about now. There's I'll I'll send this out. Um, in the, I'll add this to the show notes, but there's. it sounds like what the Forest Service does is they have developing proposals, they have things that are under analysis, which are sort of like, um, which is the, like the Lincoln Woods Trail reconstruction is what they call under analysis. So installation of slope stability measures and a retaining wall along 800 feet of the Lincoln Woods Trail is essentially what they're looking to do because if you've been on that trail, like you can see like Dirt just sort of drops into the river in some sections. Um, hmm. And then I guess when they get to the final stage, the analysis is complete. Then they, um, at that point, that's where I think the projects will get final approval and they can actually start working on them. But, you know, there's some some stuff going on around like replacing ski lifts that they've got to approve. There's invasive plant control. There's land exchanges you know, there's something about the Cog Railroad in Mount Washington is going to um, exchange an acre and a half of privately owned land somehow. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on here. So I'll, I'll put this in the show notes and people can read through these projects if they want to geek out on it. Yeah, I see your note here about um, options to replace the Zealand Bonds Traverse. I guess you could 
conceivably do what we did just the other night with Steve. Um, just tie in Ethan Pond and loop back to Zealand and capture all those peaks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yep. There are options. Don't worry, people. No reason to panic. <laughs> yeah, and for me, I was thinking more of like um, just the full traverse with Zealand Bonds. Like like you said, you'd have to make it some kind of a loop instead or an out and back. That's the that's the problem with Lincoln Woods being shut down is like you can't do that that hike, and that's a pretty popular um, traverse. Yeah, huge. Um, so Stomp, you wanted to talk about Andy Cannon has a new, uh, a new survey about bugs. Yes. Yeah. Really simple. It's two questions. We promise Slasher won't sell your data to Google or Elon Musk or, uh, NIH or Fauci or anybody. We'll keep it private. It's a two question survey about blood type and bug annoyance. So check it out and, uh, let's see if there's any, uh, <laughs> Interesting data. Andy sent me this. I'm like, oh, that's an that's an interesting idea. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I just filled mine out. Um, oh, did you? you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's definitely like certain people that get covered in bugs. I Do you guess? I, I've heard that, you but it, you know, for me personally, it, it sort of varies. So it comes and goes. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I yeah. I'm I'm, I'm hot and cold. I guess. I yeah. I feel like. This weekend, like the bugs were more interested in my daughter than they were me to start with, but then eventually they found both of us. <laughs> yeah, I think it comes and goes depending on your sweat level, your sodium on your skin, or who knows. Is that what CO2 I always thought out it was, of your breath? That's what I always thought it was, is the CO2 that they're attracted to, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure, but uh, let's see if Andy can tie up some info here for us. Thank you, Andy. And by the way, Andy, I think I saw you from a distance at Reckless over the weekend, but my wife and I were sort of rushing out at the time to uh, get back to business, so I apologize for not saying hi. I think it was you. I think you were there with somebody else. Reckless. What a great place. Good times. I I picked some some Reckless beer up this weekend. Oh, it's so good. It's definitely good. Yeah. Well, speaking of surveys, there was a note that came across um, social media that um, there is a researchers, I think there's a couple of researchers, I think they're out of the University of Maine, but I'm not sure. They were um, they were putting out like a public service announcement because people were asking questions. There's cameras set up on some of these some of the peaks and the whites. And um, what these what these cameras are. So basically, the one of the researchers was like, "I just want to give a heads up to everybody that if you see a camera, uh, it's not uh, set up to sort of capture anybody. It's just a, a research project that we're doing um, around getting more information on Canada J populations, which yeah. I call them gray jays, but I guess they're called Canada Jays. I never knew that. And it doesn't violate the Fourth Amendment. So too bad, people. Careful what you do. It doesn't. How does it not violate the Fourth Amendment? I don't understand. Because it's a public, open open space. Oh, so then you can put a camera up there? Well, if it's federal, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not violating your Fourth Amendment. It's open public land. Like, you you should be expected to be, to be seen and, and whatever else, videoed and everything else. So, if it's your private property, that's a whole different ballgame. But if you're out there... You know, taking a bat to a gray jay, you better you better get a lawyer. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yeah, about this. 
So I run in the mornings and I run like we have this nice farm in my town and it's really beautiful and, you know, we don't mow the lawn in May because we want to save the birds and all that stuff. But there's like this person that walks their dogs and they leave like the dog, they leave the like, they, they put the dog shit in a bag, but they don't take the bag with them. They leave the bag in the middle of like the farm. Whose farm? A like a. It's it's a it, so the town I live in. Like we we like bought a farm and kept it as open space. So it's like oh, I see. There's soccer fields there. People ride their horses. I run trail run and stuff. But there's this there's this like mystery person that is leaving their dog poop bag in the middle of like where I run. <laughs> Could I put a a, a camera, camera up? Is that legal? I, yeah, or would I need permission from the town? Probably permission from the town. I, I forget exactly if if Mass is like a, a no filming, you know, without consent state or not. I mean, it gets complicated. There are different levels of legal uh, uh, hurdles to make sure you're not getting in trouble. Okay. I mean, Jesus, you're not supposed to litter on town property. I don't know what it is. It's a thing. Like they, I think what they always claim is they're like, I'm going to just leave the dog shit bag in the middle of the trail, and then I'm coming back, and I'll pick it up on my way back. But they never come back, and they never pick it up. So if you're in Amesbury and Woodson Farms, I'm going to put a camera out, and you're going to get a, you're going to get busted. So. There you go. You could send in the video as like an anonymous tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just usually like it depends. Like, if I'm in like a long sleeve, I don't like to touch them because I'm afraid like other dogs have peed on the bag. But like, if I'm on a long sleeve shirt, I'll like pull my thing over my hand and then I'll pick it up and throw it in the trash when I get out there. But But there's this this Gray J survey in the sorry, we got off on a tangent there, but there's a Gray J survey going on right now. And I thought this was interesting. So there's a uh, a link to the, so the lady that uh, posted it. She included a link to the project um, website, and there's a survey there that you can fill out where um, they want you to help find study subjects. So they say they know where some J's are located, but our study will be much more robust. Uh, so the more information we have on the range and distribution of Canada J's in the Northeast, the better. So they want people to help, uh, you know, give them a better understanding of what interactions the Canada Jays are having with humans. They can't be everywhere at once, so they're looking for help to gather as much of a large data set um, as they can. So it sounds like what they're looking to do is um, determine the effects of human feeding on the gray jay behavior, determine if human feeding increases the presence of gray jays in the recreation areas that they find them in, and determine if any changes in behavior or the number of gray jays influence other population of birds. So um, it's always a, like a big question about whether you feed the gray jays or not. So, yeah. so they're trying to figure out what the impact is. Interesting. And then what? <laughs> I mean, I can answer those questions. It seems so obvious. Like common sense. Of course, like a cat, it's routine. You, if you're feeding them, they're going to come back. I mean, I, I've noticed anecdotally that they're getting bigger. I, they're eating a lot more. I mean, I don't know. What are they going to do with this research? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It sounds like they want to um, answer the – maybe they want to, like, answer the, the, the never-ending question on social media about should you feed the Grey Jays or not. Who's the organization? It is um, 
hold on a sec. It is two professors, one who's an ecology and conservation biology professor at UMaine, and then um, an ecologist from Virginia Wesleyan University. So they're both, uh, you know, we should see if we can get them on. I wonder if they talk to us. I think the, I mean, these people probably work on grants, right? Grant money, whatever. I mean, could that money be spent elsewhere on education for hikers to not feed the damn birds? I'm not stepping on toes, but it's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I do think it's it's pretty interesting. I did fill out the survey, and I did, you know, uh, I did want to kind of throw out, stomp, and get the list of where you can find these birds. So I, I do get that question quite a lot. Um, oh, yeah. We know. So for me... If you if you want to find gray jays, um, for me the single best spot to find them that never fails is the Mizpah cutoff. So get up the Crawford Path um, or Jackson. Well, yeah. So there's yeah. the Mizpah cutoff all area. the way up to Mizpah. Jackson is great. Willie Tom Field is great for it. And then uh, the Hancock's is never never fails. North Hancock, and then uh, Mariah is another peak that I've seen them on a bunch. Yeah. And a little bit on the Osceolas. Um, and then I'm trying to think, is there anywhere else that you've seen them? I think we saw them on Caps Ridge. Um, I think it may be an elevation-dependent phenomena. I think they show up here and there at different elevations. But, uh, yeah, those are the three that come to mind. Alexandria, um, Mrs. Stomp, a.k.a. Alexandria. <laughs> she took... A picture of a gray jay, and I think it was on caps, and it's like the most amazing picture. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never seen them on caps, but um, I think, like I said, like um, Jackson, Pierce, Willie, Tomfield, that whole area in Crawford is good. Like you said, Caps Ridge, Mariah, Hancock's, Osceola's. Um, never seen them in the Sandwich Range. I have not either. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, maybe it's like an elevation component to it. Yeah, yeah, it is. But um, I'll share the survey. And if you see a camera set up like they're not they don't care about you. They're looking for the birds. (laughs) Um, One other update that I had here was uh, I wanted to put a plug in for Lost and Found in the Whites. It's a social media group on Facebook. Uh, this is the time of the year where people start losing stuff. Um, I've seen people that have lost like wedding rings. I've seen people, you know, a lot of like hiking poles and, and other equipment. And uh, if you lose anything, you can just post it on this lost and found in the whites. A lot of times people will say, hey, I found something in a, on trail. And then, you know, it's a way for you to get your stuff back. So keep it in mind. And I'll, uh, I'll post a link in the show notes. Cool. That's a great idea. All right, stop. So um, you got a big weekend coming up with the with the White Mountain Endurance Race. Yes, aka Rock Hopper. They have rebranded, and um, it's an interesting story here about the rebrand. They're growing up, and apparently, what they're doing is um, just really trying to become an all encompassing organization that covers racing, coaching, touring, and you name it. So good for them. And uh, this weekend's going to be pretty cool. I think the weather's going to be decent. I'll be there super early, like 7-ish. I guess the race starts at 8. So we're going to be rocking and rolling pretty early and 
be there all day. So if anybody's around, come on by and uh, support the runners and uh, maybe run yourself. Yeah, it sounds good. I'm going to try to make it up. Um, I've got a graduation party that I got to maneuver through, so I got to figure it out. But <laughs> yeah, I will try to make it up. Tis the season. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, and then before we get into the show summary and start our first segment here, Stomp, I, I, your big moment is here. The 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 Johnny Depp Amber. What is her name? Amber Heard. Amber Heard. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, that, came in. that trial. Yeah, well, I, again, I haven't, I haven't been paying attention, but I'll give you a moment. Came in like two hours ago. Um, Johnny Depp won the case. The jury awarded him uh, damages for, I think, ultimately, it's $10.3 million. Um, there's a cap in the state for punitive damages. So it would have been $15 million, but it came down to like $10.3 million. And uh, Amber herself did win. This is interesting. She won one defamation case against Johnny Depp's attorney. Um, So it's just fascinating. I mean, the jury was pretty clear that they felt that her statements were defamatory. And uh, I don't know. I I thought it was fascinating. My wife and I actually got to watch pretty much 95% of it. So it was really an interesting uh, journey watching the whole thing. Um, I guess you haven't seen much of it, huh? No, I mean, my just like from my 10,000-foot view is that um, both of them came out of this uh, much more significantly damaged than they did going into it. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess Johnny Depp, he can add that $10 million onto his already big pile of money and, and call himself a winner, oh, but yeah. I, I don't really know if he won. Yeah, maybe he'll get uh, some movies again. I mean, that was his biggest complaint. It's like he lost uh, pretty lucrative movie deals over the allegations and whatnot. So it'd be interesting to see how the dust settles. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely would like to see more pirates movies. I mean, he's, that's a great, that's a great series. So hopefully him and Disney can kiss and make up. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll see about that. Who knows? But anyway, yeah, it's over. All right. So uh, sponsor coffee talk. What do we got? Stomp. Well, Today we have no donations, which is which is totally cool. Um, we're cool with that, but we do want to thank Reckless um, Mike. You have had some Reckless recently, and I was there with my lovely bride uh, over the weekend. And they're, I mean, honestly, the food that we ordered was amazing. Um, the beer was fantastic. It's so close to the Whites. You guys got to check it out if you're in the area. Uh, it's in the lovely town of Bethlehem. Parking's easy. So check them out when you can. And um, yeah, that's about it. So we do have some notable hikes. We had six this week. And do you want to be the judge and jury on this one as usual? I will. I will, yeah. Why don't you run, run it down? <laughs> All right. So we have Adventure Life at 50. Uh, posted a post about Caragorms National Park, UK. And apparently they do three search and rescue trainings a year there. So this seems like uh, somebody that was in the UK and uh, posted these beautiful pictures. Uh, Thanks for that. Then we have Jen Davis, Jen Jen Davis, Jen Adams at One Great Life, um, an evening hike on Mount Cardigan, which is very cool. Thank you for the tag. Um, Lynn Ionitz. I'm not sure if that's pronounced correctly, but what do you expect from Slasher? <laughs> Scour after a reminder. So Lynn checked out Scour after the podcast said, hey, check out Scour. 
And then there's uh, A. Folsom 33, Fourth uh, Iron Campground to Livermore Road to Sawyer Road and out and back. That's pretty impressive. And then, if, I don't know who this is, some dude named Mike MCL and Caroline. I have no idea who this is. They're, I don't know. They, I don't know. Who, whatever. But they did uh, the Carters familiar. in Mount Height, I guess, which is pretty cool, but who knows who they are. And then Caroline was like, Caroline said to me, so Caroline's my daughter. We went hiking. She posted on Instagram. She's like, stop, like my story. She was so excited. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. And then here's the last one. Uh, no guts, no glory. No guts, no glory. And what happened here, um, let's see, they did an eight mile Memorial Day hike for Sergeant Zach Tellier. Uh, it's an 85 degree day in their backyard, the Belknaps, and um, it was a Memorial Day hike. And apparently, it, it connects to this Memorial Day uh, effort here that was started by a young man named Jack Curley, class of 23. He wanted to make a project for his spring independent learning ex- experience, and he basically said that I would love to honor our service members, and um, he put together the Belknap Mountain Range hike for the fallen. And basically, you know, it's in memorial of all the fallen soldiers. And uh, people sign up and they hike and they they attach pictures of the fallen on their backpack. So it's pretty awesome. So good job, Jack. Never forget, Memorial Day is a beautiful, beautiful start to the summer and it's a good time of remembrance. So... After I loaded that one, Mike, what do you think is the winner? <laughs> yeah, geez, I wanted to pick me and Caroline's, but I guess Jack has to win. So, no, Jack, Jack, it sounds like an awesome event. So definitely uh, inspiring and, and, and congratulations for the Memorial Day hike. That sounds awesome. Yeah. The runner-up is MCL and Caroline. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's a, a funny story, actually, before we um, get into the show opening. So... Um, I was on, I was looking at Instagram and um, our friend Corey, so she's gritting and she had posted like a funny thing where she, and I was, I was saying to my daughter about this, like she, she was like, you know, they did this hike or whatever. And then she's like, everything was good, but she's like, be careful. It's mansplaining season in the white. So I think what she was saying was that basically, you know, she's out hiking on her own a lot, but like because it's so crowded of a Memorial Day weekend, there's oh. a lot of hikers out there and like questioning her. Maybe skill. they're giving un- unsolicited advice to, <laughs> you know, and, and I think some of the women are taking it like, you know, okay, I don't need to be mansplained. I'm That's like halfway hilarious. through my grid or whatever, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was talking to my daughter about it and I, I was like, I try not to mansplain. I was like, I learned like from listen, you know, we, we talked about this a bunch of times, but like I, I'm typically, I just say, hi, how you doing? Cause I don't want anyone to ever get like the wrong impression that I'm getting up in their business. I don't care if they're man, man or woman. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. Cause I said to my daughter, I was like, I was like, I love hiking with you because it gives me a chance to get like eight hours worth of mansplaining nonstop down on the trail. <laughs> so it was like, I can mansplain to you because you're my daughter and you can't complain, but I can't do it to anybody else. No, so. I'm sure she appreciates the, uh, the experience and whatnot. She sounds like she's crushing it, man. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, she's doing good. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. Yeah, but, um, mansplaining. If you're a dude out there on the trail and you you feel this like uncontrollable impulse to <laughs> explain to somebody something that they didn't ask you about, like just keep your mouth shut. 
<laughs> right. Unless they're wearing flip-flops. <laughs> that's yes. your ex- yeah. that's your exclusion there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> um all right, so let's get into the show here. So welcome to episode 61 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we're going to catch up on a few topics, including the paving of the dirt section of the Mount Washington Auto Road, uh, and we're going to throw in some auto road history. We'll do a quick recap of Stomp's Lodge to Dodge event, and I think we're going to we'll do like a, a deeper dive on that one in a couple of weeks, but we want to just yeah. touch on it, and then uh, we'll cover some recent hikes. We'll talk about an overlooked fire tower hike that I wanted to just throw out there as a plug, and then we'll finish up with some recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's go. All right. You drinking anything good? Dude, I'm actually drinking a double IPA against all my better judgment. You know how I, I hate IPA because it like reminds me of grapefruit for whatever reason. Yes. Is that hops? Mm-hmm. I found Frost Beer Works out of Hinsburg, Vermont, and it's a research series double IPA. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had those before. Okay. It's it's like 8% alcohol IPA, but it reminds me of like a lager or something darker, so I don't get that grapefruity scent. The bitterness. Oh, my God. It's, this is so good. It's delicious. What you got? Awesome. I got, um, I've drank this before. Uh, it's True North um, Ale Company Northern Haze Juicy IPA. Huh. Yeah. There you go. So, brewed on Boston's North Shore, so I don't know exactly where they're out of, but. Um, Boston's Ipswich. North Shore. They're out oh, of Ipswich. There you go. Alvaro and Susie's terrain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think they're over in, like, they're in, in uh, Europe right now. Um, yeah. I did actually stop off on the way back from my hike. I went, uh, there's a little little beer and wine store right on the, if you're, as a matter of fact, this place is great. It's Vista, Vista Beb and Market, and I'll put a link in the show notes for it, but it's like right at the uh, junction of Route 16 and uh, Hurricane Mountain Road. There's this like little little beer and wine store there so i went in and they have they carry reckless so i grabbed like a couple of four packs of reckless and they were like oh my god we love reckless and they were like do you know that they handwrite the names of their beers right on the the case and i was like yeah it's pretty cool it was, it was pretty good so i got some uh devil's hop yard and then i got another four pack i got them up in maine so i'll have plenty of um oh you got the carrier I, th- I recognize I the pack on the uh, can well wasn't that a carry out stout uh, no, I didn't get carry out. I got I got something else. A, a Devil's Hop Yard, and then there was one other brand. I don't know what it is. Oh, they didn't I have carry out. carry out. Oh, bummer. No, no. I was looking for it, but they didn't have it at the store. But great store, Vista Bev, and um, the the Reckless beer was great. Perfect beer for after a hike, sitting on the porch up in Maine. Um, and also, we didn't shout out. Did we shout out? Congratulations to Steve I was for getting just married. Going to mention that I've been watching his mm-hmm. stories. They're over in London, over in the UK, yes. having a great time, hitting all the taverns and random places. So, uh, congratulations, Steve. Um, wish you guys the best, and um, you can come back and tell us your adventures in the UK, across the pond. Yeah, he's going to get back. We need we need someone dependable <laughs> to rescue people out there. Yeah, and to tell us about beer. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure we'll come uh, back with some great recipes. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, any recent hike stop for you? No, none. Not a zip zero. 
I have been recovering. I'm like, like I said, I'm, I feel like I have jet lag from the last weekend with the uh, Lodge to Dodge. I think mentally I was hiking with those two guys, but I've not done a thing. But I feel like I did 70 miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, do, we'll talk about it in, in the next segment, but because uh, I am curious about the whole sleep situation and all. Yeah, good time. How about you? You been out? I was. I got out. Like uh, we touched on this a little bit. I got out. Um, so I said to my uh, Caroline, my daughter, my oldest one. She's just starting her internship this week, so um, she had the the weekend free, and I was like, I'm going to go hike hike on um, probably Saturday or Sunday. And I was like, why don't you pick a hike on your 4,000 footer list? So she's sort of doing the 52 with the views and the 4,000 footer. She's got like maybe 15, 52 with the views done. And I think she's got like about, she had 19 4,000 footers. So I was like, pick a 4,000 footer and we'll go. So I was like, just let me know which one you want to do. I'll do whatever one, no problem. So then she came back and she was like, um, I want to do Canon. And I was like, well, let's do the Carters instead. <laughs> so she's like, Dad, you told me to pick one, and I picked it, and I scoped it all out, and then you, like, completely veto me. And I That's was like, hilarious. I'll never do it again, but we're not that doing the, the can. We're not doing can. The ultimate mansplain. You, you could have said, I'll meet you at the top. I'll take the tram, and I'll see you at the top. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I hate to judge, but I was like, why? if we're in Freiburg, like, why would you decide to go all the way to the other side of the state? Like, do something, you know. I had the mansplain. <laughs> Explain her like why she was <laughs> so bad, dude. Now so. you know what it feels like. It's like over here we don't want to go past the notch. It's just like it I seems know, like it's a million miles away. I know, I know, it is brutal. But anyway, so I'm sorry, Caroline, if you're listening. But we, so she she had a good time giving me a hard time about the fact that I completely discounted her opinion. But I was like, let's do the Carters. I was like, I want to do Mount Height. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a great choice, though. It's that's a yeah. beauty. Because I was like, I think we went on whatever day we went. I think we went Saturday. It was supposed to rain. It actually didn't rain that bad. We went into North Conway and did like the touristy stuff. But Sunday was a good day. And I was like, let's do Mount Height. And then we'll go over to Carter Dome. So the plan was basically we'd park at 19 Mile Brook, go up 19 Mile, cut over to Carter Dome, go to Mount Height. Yeah, you bang the left there at that junction. And then go to Carter Dome the actual peak so so 19 brook trail to carter dome trail to zeta pass to mount height and then over to carter dome and then come back to zeta pass um and then i said like i don't know how your legs are going to feel so we did i was like we'll make a call on whether or not we go over to south and middle carter um from there so we 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 basically did that we got on trail around like nine o'clock quarter nine and um or maybe it was quarter eight i can't remember and then, you know, easy hike up the uh, the 19-mile brook to the trail junction. Then we cut up Carter Dome and then got to Zeta Pass and then right up to Mount Height and spent probably, um, I would say, maybe about 45 minutes on Mount Height with, like, unbelievable views. Have you you've been on there? Mount Height is probably my favorite location with uh, my, my spouse. I mean, we, we were blown away. It's like a mini Gio. It's just the, yeah. the view of the, the Prezies is just incredible on a good day. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised when they redid the 52 with a view list and they added like a couple of peaks on there. Um, 
I'm kind of shocked that they didn't include Mount Height, but I guess it's, is it because it's not like considered a real mountain because it doesn't have the prominence on the, on one side? Yeah, possibly. I'm not really sure, but that would be my first guess. It just doesn't have the, the height. Get it? The yeah. height? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because when you, when you, you're on the side where Zeta Pass is, it's like, it, it looks very much like its own standalone mountain, but it just doesn't dip down enough. They need to get like a, um, like a tractor up there and just dig out a couple hundred, you know, hundred feet. Of, you know, <laughs> feet of prominence on that. It side. is interesting, isn't it? Two hundred foot. It's so arbitrary, but so much in life is arbitrary. You got to set a well, line because, somewhere. You will because if you look at if you look at Mount Height next to Carter Dome, and then you look at South Carter and Middle Carter, like it doesn't look like there's anywhere near the elevation drop. That they would need to be real mountains. Sure, real so weird. Real mountains. <laughs> like to be like you know standalone mountains. It just looks yeah. like they're just bumps along a ridge versus like real mountains. Well, it's like but, the the five hundred highest list is based on the two hundred foot prominence, which is interesting. I mean, God knows what we're missing out there based upon like five feet or ten feet or whatever. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I guess it goes but, back to the whole like screw the list and just hike everything because everything is awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my advice to people is if you're looking for like an amazing view, if you're going to hike Mount Height, make sure that you do it on a bluebird day. Like don't don't risk it oh, on yeah. like a cloudy day because the views there are just unbelievable and then build in plenty of time for you to just chill out there. So I think we spent about 30, 45 minutes on the peak just like taking pictures and talking and stuff. And I, I met like um another hiker that was working on her 48 and we were both sort of talking about how we couldn't believe that the um you know that height wasn't on the 52 with a view and stuff so she was nice so we got to know her a little bit so what is the um the full traverse like talking about uh, wildcat mariah this is the carters are in sort of like the the quarter quarter way mark in right so you start at the wildcats and then you end at mariah what is that what is that mileage first off like 13 i I think more? that f- that full traverse is like 22 miles or something. <laughs> 13, what am I thinking? Okay. Yeah, yeah, not even close. Yeah, because remember we tried it, so we went up with Jimmy Chaga, <sighs> and, and we, we, did the wild, yeah. we did the Wildcat Ridge. During a blizzard. Yeah, yeah, and we had to bail out down. Matter of fact, that we bailed out down Zeta Pass. Yeah. So, um, oh. but this hike, so again, 19 mile to Carter Dome Trail, up to height to Carter Dome. Yeah. And Carter Dome is cool too. There's a little like step off where you can go um, and get a view of, you know, it's like before you get to Carter Dome, but there's a little step off where you can get onto this rock rock section where you can get out and get a similar view to height. Oh, by the way, um, can I interject there? From yeah. from Carter Dome, that's the start of the Rainbow Trail that heads east. Rainbow Trail is supposed to be a magical trail. Yeah, yeah, I've. I, um, I've heard a lot of good things about that, and I think that you can somehow you can maneuver your way down the Rainbow Trail and get into like that Evans Notch bald face area there too, which I've never done before, but I'd love to try that. Yeah, it's supposed to be somewhat of a strainer during wet seasons, but yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Um, but anyway, so like we went up, we did height, we did Carter Dome, and then you know we spent a little bit of time on the rocks below Carter Dome. Like I said, there's some openings there or whatnot, and then came back, and I was like testing Caroline. I was like, look, we're, I don't even know, probably after that loop up to Carter Dome and then back, we were probably like, 
I would say like seven miles or, or so in. By the time we got back to Zeta Pass, we stopped, had lunch, and then I was like, look, how do you feel? I'm like, you're going to add another two miles to get to Middle Carter, and then two miles to get back, and then it's about four miles down. So I was like, you're talking another seven miles, eight miles. I was like, do you want to do this? I said, the other option is is that we can go South Carter, Middle Carter, and then cut down the imp trail and try to cut our way through that Dodge campground. Which you did, right? On the way out. Didn't I see you no, guys? No, I on, didn't. So I saw we, a picture of you guys on a cliff. Or you on a cliff. Where was that? Um, it, it looked as though I, the, the first thing that came to mind was, oh, that's got to be imp face. You didn't go that no, far? No, no. I would have been on, it would have been Mount Height somewhere. Wow. Interesting. I'm going to have to look at those pictures again. Yeah, no, we didn't go that far. So we just, I did like a big T. So we basically went from Zeta Pass, then we went to South Carter and then Middle Carter. Yeah. And then turned around and came right back to Zeta Path, Pass yeah. and then came down. So we did a big T basically. Cool. So, because the reason I didn't go down Imp was because I was afraid that, like, before I've got, I've done that, and I've cut through that campground, and I've been done, like, a very short road walk to get back to 19 Mile. Yeah. But I had read that because of COVID, they shut that trail down, so you can't, there was, like, a bootleg trail that you could get into the campground through. Oh, I remember and that. Yeah, I did. I had read that they won't let you get through there, so I was like, I didn't want to <laughs> put all those miles on Caroline, and then find out that we had to do an extra like two and a half mile road walk so i was like i'll just play it safe um but it was a long day it was like 14 miles hmm. it was probably like 4,500 feet of elevation gains but she got three four thousand footers on her list so it was well worth it wow 14 miles well yeah. i did 70 miles in my head this weekend so you guys got yeah. nothing on me <laughs> yeah yeah well congratulations yeah that's cool so how are the bugs by the way the only time the bugs were a factor, so it got hot. Um, the only time the bugs were a factor was when we stopped at the Zeta Pass. Yeah. It's like the sun was beating down. So the sun could make it through, and there was no wind, and it was warm, and the mosquitoes found Caroline first, and then me second. Huh. But other than that, when we were moving... There was no no issue with them. Well, we're in June now, so we have four weeks. I mean, I think they disappear at the next full moon, so we're almost there, people. It's going to be a beautiful summer. Yeah, no ticks. No ticks on me at all, I checked. Huh. That's interesting. Tons of ticks in Maine on the beach. On the beach? Like every time I – like we have like this like – it's like sand at the front yard, and then it goes down into this pond. Yeah. And like you, the the ticks are in the sand. So like you walk barefoot on the sand, and then you come in the house and you look, and it's like, but uh, it's not the little ticks. It's like the bigger wood ticks. Right, but they're still crawling up your a problem, leg. aren't they? I Medically, mean, I flick them. I mean, I look. I, I don't think so. I feel like the smaller ones are the ones that can, they that have the diseases. But I don't know. I don't like any of them on me, so I just like flick them off. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, that's unusual, having them in the sand versus the grass. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. They've always been in the sand when, when they've been up there. So Yeah. Well, great job, Caroline. Yeah. I haven't yeah, seen her pi- you know, post any pictures of this hike. So, you know, isn't she the one that wants to see more mountain pictures? You got to get her on the job. 
<laughs> well, she told me she was like, I need to, um, yeah, she, she's like, I'll be your social media, um, like coordinator or whatever. And Sounds I was like, well, good. you get your internship this summer. Like you need to focus on that. Like maybe, uh, and she's like, well, she's like, how much are you paying me? And I was like, never mind. So, Virtual hugs. <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are um, in demand, the virtual hugs. So, hey. Not by me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? All right. So uh, segment one, we're going to talk about the auto road stop. So um, I found this interesting, and I think you you were the one that wanted to do this segment. I think it's a good call. Yeah, Um, good timing, too. The auto road is uh, people may not be aware of this but the auto road it's four and a half miles of like paved paved road up to about the four thousand foot mark and then previously like there was a dirt road section that went from about the four thousand foot mark up to maybe like six four and a half miles up to maybe about miles five and a half or six yeah you you do a u-turn where the nelson's crag trail goes and uh, traditionally, that was sort of like a, for people that have run the auto road, that's sort of like a marker to say like, okay, you're now above tree line, you know, you've got to get up this dirt road section, and then, you know, there's the final push to get that last mile and a half to get to the peak. But they've paved over, have they paved over all of it or just a section It's it? complete. It's 100% paved. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I like the dirt section. <laughs> well, we can talk about it, but I mean, what's the history on it? So I, I, from what I read, I think it goes back to the 70s where they really started pushing paving, you know, segment by segment by segment. This is a 161-year-old road um, in terms of paving and whatnot. So it's pretty neat. It's cool. Uh, it, my big question was how would it impact some of the uh, the events? But... What is the history yeah. on this, Mike? How far back does yeah, this go? Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll get into that first. So so for people that aren't aware, like, and I'm mostly referencing like the the history of the road. Um, there's like a website that you can go on from Mount Washington, and it gives sort of the whole breakdown of the road. But we've talked about this before, like the the mid eighteen eighteen hundreds, like around eighteen forty to eighteen sixty. That's when um, all the heavy sort of exploration and the establishment of you know, these big classic hotels in like the Gorham area started. So so the auto road basically became, um, it came in place because in the 1850s, like a railroad was built from uh, Montreal to Portland and the railroad passed through Gorham, which basically opened up like the east side of the White Mountains to tourists. And what ended up happening is that all of these sort of Big hotels opened up in Gorham, which attracted tourists, and then that then in turn created a demand for like the Summit House on Mount Washington, the Glen House, which was at the foot of the road, um, was there, and then the Tip Top House, which is still standing, was was built in like the 1850s. Yeah. So all of this activity was going on, and at the same time, you know, there was this plan to build a road up to the top which would allow um you know horse-drawn carriages to come up there and eventually you know cars came up there so i think the construction started in the middle of the 1850s and you know it went on for 
I think about two years it took them to get to the halfway point, and then they they ran out of money, so they set up like a halfway house there, which I think, Stomp, you've done a little exploration. We'll talk about that in a minute on uh, sort of abandoned trails as well. But um, the original company ran out of money. It sat for like three years with the road only being about halfway up the, the mountain, and then they were able to eventually get more money, and they um, opened the road eventually. It took them two more years. They opened the road to the summit in 1861 um, under a lot of fanfare. It was um, basically horse-drawn vehicles that were going up to the summit, and there was two guys that like fought over who was going to be the first one up there, and like this guy went up three weeks before the grand opening so that he could be the one to get credit for being the first guy up in, in a horse-drawn carriage. Epic. So, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. It's amazing. Yeah. And then so through the 1860s, like the, the road got more and more popular. But it, by 1869, um, the, the Cog Railroad was complete. And for probably about 40 or 50 years, the Cog Railroad was the preferred, oh, maybe like 30, 40 years. The Cog Railroad was the preferred way to get up there. It was a shorter trip, much more comfortable. Going up in like a horse-drawn carriage is a little bit a little bit dangerous. So um, most people tended to take the Cog. <laughs> so um, I think what they did is they had this deal where you could go up in the Cog and then go down in a horse-drawn carriage and then they would bring you back up on the same day. So you could really, like, get the whole experience um, back there. But, you know, by the time – so for 30 years or so, the road sort of was just used by horses. Um, and then by the time the early 1900s came around, the guy that invented the Stanley Steamer, which is a steam-powered vehicle, he, I guess, was the, the first motorized ascent up um, up Mount Washington in 1899 on the auto road, and eventually gas-powered vehicles a few years later started going up there. And, um, you know, by the time the, like, 1930s arrived, more and more vehicles were going up there. And, you know, now we're at the point where, you know, the auto road is, is super popular. I don't even know what the volume is on, on vehicles, but... Um, you know, it used to be called the Mount Washington Carriage Road. It's now called the Mount Washington Auto Road. And, um, you know, I guess in recent years it says more than 45,000 vehicles have driven um, on an annual basis. But I feel like it's probably even more than that. Yeah, I would think so. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, if you want to talk about people dying or accidents there's been three fatalities on the auto road so 1880 a stagecoach overturned uh, i guess the guy was drunk there you go how that works um so one of the passengers was killed and then in 1984 a vehicle experienced brake failure uh, about a mile up the road and wasn't able to make it down safely so i'm assuming they died and then in 2009 <laughs> there was a motorcycle accident i, I, I don't remember that hmm. can we go back a little bit the second one the yeah. brake, brake failure what year was that 1984 wow 1984 it had to have been a pinto oh, something i mean that's a little unusual i mean brake systems by then were functional wow that's scary 
Yeah, yeah. I know uh, a friend of mine in high school had, um, I think it was a Dodge Dart. So it was like a 19, it was in the the 1970s model. And um, he lost brakes completely one time. So it does happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think a smart way to go down that is to actually, if you have the ability to get into a low gear, just to, to ride it lowest gear possible, you know, stop if you have to, but watch out for those brakes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I've been on the auto road. I think I've run the race about seven or eight times. I've run up the auto road probably 10, 12 other times just on my own, just for training runs and for fun. And, you know, I feel like I know that road pretty much like the back of my hand at this point. Yeah. So speaking of knowing the road, how do you think this will impact the bikers and the runners next week, I think, or the week after for Father's Day? That is the big Mount Washington road race. So you have decades of runners that have been running this mile-long, mile-and-a-half-long section of dirt. Now it's going to be paved. How do you think that's going to impact time? I think for the so I think for the elite runners it'll obviously make it a little it should speed up the course a little bit just because they won't have to transition under the dirt like it yeah you know you got a mile mile and a half of dirt where you're um, you know you are sinking in a little bit and you're slipping a little bit and it just it gives the pavement will give you a little bit more of a grip the the downside is in the years where the where the the weather's a little bit warmer. I would assume that the heat would be retained a little bit more significantly on the pavement, the and maybe you know you risk overheating. Hmm. For me personally, having run the road multiple times, psychologically, the dirt section is a milestone that you know I sort of I chunk the race up. You know, for me, when I run the race, I look at it from the perspective of the first four miles is one race. That's the race to get above tree line. Right. Yeah. And then the second part of the race is that sort of like get above tree line, get to the dirt section, and then survive. <laughs> you know, make your way up through the the hairpin turn and clear the dirt section. Right. Yeah. Then the third part of the race is get to the flat section, approaching the summit. So you got to go through that super steep that cl- section. Yeah. 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 And then once you get there, the fourth part of the race is just sort of finishing at the finishing strong at the summit. Um, so for me, like you lose that sort of milestone of having that dirt section there to sort of be like one of the sections of the race mentally that you've got to you've got to overcome. Yeah, but I think that section breaks in the tree line hard. So I, I mean, you could shift your perspective a bit there because you're getting the views finally right around that bend. Um, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah, the the first quarter mile, half mile is the worst with all the people and the high trees and the sweat and the humidity. Holy moly! But uh, what mile is that flat section that goes on for about a quarter mile before banks right? Is that up around That's five and like, a half? No, six? Um, way farther up. I think it's more like six and a half or so. Okay, I love that. And section. then you're almost to the summit at that point. Like almost you're, you're getting pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So just so listeners know, the course record at the moment, you know, we'll link the course records for everybody to check out. But the record, regardless of age at the moment, is 56 minutes and 41 seconds by Jonathan Wyatt, who is a New Zealander. And um, that is amazing when you think about seven point, what, seven point six? 
miles. 7.6, yeah. Yeah, 7.6 miles. And this guy crushed it in under an hour. He's he's moving at seven miles an hour uphill. This guy's a powerhouse. I haven't followed this guy's career, but I think he's doing a lot of races over in Europe at the moment. Um, incredible. So I'm wondering if somebody's going to break it now that this pavement's added. So we shall see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure the the, the bike racing people will be happy. Um, oh hell yeah! Although gravel bikes have been like more in vogue the last couple of years, it probably hasn't been as big of an issue. But yeah. I think just having that like smooth um, pavement to, to ride up will be will be nice. And I would think the, like people that are driving that section, the one problem with that section is that that's the most exposed section that you're driving. So when you're when you're going up, it's not as big of a deal because you are sort of on the inside hugging closer to the wall but when you're going down you know you're on the outside of the road and it is very nerve-wracking to sort of be on that dirt and feeling like you know you could slip over the edge and like there's nothing stopping you from really rolling right off um so i think having the pavement there might be a little bit reassuring for people that they can stick to the pavement and they know they're going to be safe yeah for sure hey we have breaking news we have a donation yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just came yeah, in. Coffee. <clears throat> and it says, diehard fan, love you guys, the one and only Shandy. Oh, very she good. She donated three. She just made it in at the last second. Mm. Thank you, Shandy. You're the best. Thank you. Um, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, breaking news. So one thing, Stomp, I wanted to just call out here. So the auto road, you know, it's got an interesting history. I'll link the show notes. Um, you know, the the pavement piece of it is what it is, I guess, at this point. Um, but, you know, it's worth checking out the, the history segment. But I also wanted to put a plug is that don't sleep on the idea of, like, hiking on or around the auto road. Like, there's some cool hikes that you can do using the auto road. And I think there's no pro there's no prohibition for you being on the auto road as a pedestrian, but you just need to yield to vehicles, I think, is the way it works. Um but you can you, you can touch the auto road a bunch of different ways. Like you take old Jackson out of Pinkham, you hit the mile two marker. You can go up the auto road that way if you want. Um, and then, you know, you can cut off Nelson Crag. You can get into the Great Gulf from there. There's all kinds of things that you can do, you know, take a couple of miles up the auto road and then cut off. The other option for you is, um, you know, you can take the Nelson Crag trail and then that connects with the auto road around the five mile mark of five and a half mile mark of the auto road. And then, you know, you can, you can check out, you know, you can go to up the auto road that way, or you can stay on Nelson Crag and you'll sort of be parallel, uh, paralleling the auto road the whole way up. So that's a cool thing to do. The other thing you can think about doing is use it, driving up the auto road and using that as a launching point to do some hikes. You know, you can easily do a day hike down to like Lake of the Clouds from the peak right. um you can park in a bunch of different sections to get to the great gulf if you wanted to do some hikes around there like you could hike over to jefferson and back and then get back to your car so there's all kinds of options yeah absolutely you could do the infinite storm tour <laughs> you could you could you could um couple of other things about the auto road just to be aware of is that there is a hiker shuttle so if you um if you are thinking about hiking up mount washington and you don't want to hike back down you can take a look at the auto road site and utilize their hiker shuttle services but just make sure you call them and that you have your timing down and that you're not cutting it close because they do i think that they do have a cutoff and if you don't make it you're gonna go you gotta come down on your own yeah 
Yeah, it, it can be really handy in a pinch. Yes, yeah, for sure. So I'm looking forward to getting up there. I'm going to get up there at some point in the next couple of weeks and check out the new pavement and maybe do a training run or something up up the hill. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. But anything else on the auto road stump? No, man, you did a, a great job. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. All right. Well, segment two here is um, I don't, we're gonna we're gonna have um, have the guys in for a more detailed summary. I think on um, their perspective you know, from Stephen Larson's perspective. But st- I guess we wanted to just wrap up the lodge to dodge with a quick reflection from you, Stomp. And this was your baby. So I, I mean, I showed up for a couple hours to help out, but you you were on this one for a good. 36 hours so why don't you just give a a reminder of what it is and talk a little bit about your experience yeah i mean i think i'll start by saying steve mason thank you thank you thank you thank you for taking this on and uh, making it your baby too i mean i came up with the idea but i think about four years ago um after a failed hut to hut of course my mind goes to oh I fit, I did, I couldn't pull this off so how do I I make it harder that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately I you know I created this idea of going from Ravine Lodge to Joe Dodge Lodge but tacking on you know bookends to the hut to hut so long story short uh, Steve volunteered to give it a shot and he recruited uh, Larson Ojala. Uh, if I'm saying that correctly, Larson, please forgive me. And um, this past Memorial Day weekend, we gave it a go. And um, it was 36 plus hours of, you know, for, for Mike and, and myself, it was just, you know, supporting them on the road. But these guys were running nonstop. Not, not running, but in their words, power hiking. So there's a big difference. You know, you have mountain runners, but you have power hikers, and these guys are power hikers, and that's their term, and they're sticking to it. So they're just muscling through, and um, it was just awesome. Um, you know, it started on the morning of the 27th at Ravine Lodge at 5.39. These two guys showed up, gave me all their gear, and uh, took off up. Gorge Brook to Mount Musalak, and then from there I was we were just leapfrogging each other all the way to the end uh, the next morning or the next afternoon at one thirty. So it was a great experience, and the whole time you know we had listeners chiming in via Instagram and uh, you know texts and everything else, just saying what's going on, what's happening, and it was a great experience. But um, long story short, we pulled it off. Larson is the first person to do the Lodge to Dodge, which ultimately came in at 70.87 miles, and it took Larson 31 hours and 52 minutes to complete it. So, Larson, congratulations. I mean, it's monumental. Um, both of the runners or power hikers, Steve Larson, said that it was, it was the hardest thing they've ever done, period. Um, chalk it up to technicality and um, you know the weather the heat the storms that came rolling through on Garfield Ridge it was just an epic weekend and there were so many people to thank Uh, you know Brady Larson's wife Sarita um, oh god there's just everybody I apologize if I can't remember but uh, congratulations to everybody and and Mike thank you very much for coming out at probably the 
the the the pinnacle point of the event because that was when people may or may not break and I think you may have had foresight in that respect uh, showing up at Crawford the halfway point which is roughly like 40 you know 35 40 miles into the race so your timing was impeccable and that was uh quite a night and i think we should probably just talk about that a little bit from our end because it's it's a fascinating part of the story my part was pretty lame it's like i just sat on my ass and uh drove around coolers of nutrient drinks and you know (laughs) everything else and you know making sure these guys had dry socks so Let's let's start yeah, from yeah. there. I, I feel like I was personally responsible for 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 this thing happening because <laughs> uh, you know I saved the day. <laughs> oh, he's going to mansplain yeah. his way through this section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for me, I mean, everything would have gone south for sure. Um, but yeah, no, this was it was it was a good time here. But um, <laughs> I think. Um, it was interesting, like as these things typically happen, like things don't go according to plan and, you know, sometimes things go south and you've got to call an audible audible or change things up. And luckily, you know, I just happened to be around right when uh, when we needed to, you know, pull Steve out of the out of the off the course and let, let um, Larson keep going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's worth covering this briefly. So they left at 539 uh, from Gorge Brook. Um, At 759, they arrived at Beaver Brook at Lost River. They left Beaver at 808 a.m. and then pulled into Lafayette Campground at 122 p.m., which was roughly five hours and 14 minutes. They left Lafayette Campground up Old Bridal, uh, at 1.50. So Mike and I are chilling out at what I would call the Shangri-La of like all supportive rest stops. Like, I, you know, I set a tent up. We've got the coolers. We're good to go. We've got lamps hanging. It's like super cool. Um, and my phone, I had shut off for about 15 minutes because my phone was almost dead and, you know, charging it in my truck was taking forever. So I shut it off. Mike and I were chatting. We were thinking about maybe doing like some live random thing and that never happened. I turn my phone on. Boom. I get a text saying, Steve's sort of, you know, he's struggling. We need some help. We got to get over to Zealand. So uh, <laughs> I want you to take over from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, without any cell connection, it was like, it was a little tricky to, sort of figure out, but I think I ended up, if I recall correctly, I ended up saying to Stomp, like, I'll go to Zealand, I'll drive over there, and then um, I'll wait for Steve, so, um, and I wasn't sure if Larson was going to be with him or if they were, um, you know, going to split up, and then I was like, they probably won't split yeah. up, then I was like, well, maybe they will, and Steve will tell them to keep going, so I get, I drive over to the Zealand trailhead, go up the dirt road, get in there and I'm like waiting for about five, 10 minutes. And then I was like, I wasn't dressed for hiking, but I was like, I got all my stuff. And I was like, well, let me get everything organized. So I started it's getting raining. Running. Yeah. It's well, raining, it wasn't raining. It, it didn't rain. Um, <laughs> when I, when I did the first trip in. So I was like, I'll go in. Um, I had stopped at McDonald's to get cheeseburgers for those guys. Cause I was like, they, they're probably going to want cheeseburgers when they get to the Crawford. So I drive up to Zealand and I was like, I was basically looking at the map and the plan for them was they were at the Zealand Falls hut. And then when they cut down the hut, 
they're going to take a left to, you know, the junction of AZ Trail and then Zealand Trail. And I was assuming, I was like, if Steve is going to bail, he's going to bail down the Zealand Trail and I'll be there to meet him. And then um, Larson will go down the AZ Trail, cut over to Crawford Notch, and then, you know, I can drive Steve over in time to actually meet Larson. So I got all my stuff ready and then I started hiking down the Zealand Trail by myself it was dark out i had my headlamp um i put my cheeseburgers in the back of my my backpack <laughs> and i was like because steve's Great. gonna want a cheeseburger when he gets gets get something so i hiked down i got about a mile in and then i waited and um you know it's pitch dark and i had my headlamp but it was like foggy and I, and I was thinking to myself, because when Stomp got the message, like, we didn't know what time they sent it, and they said that they were near Guillot. So yeah. I was like, oh, man, they're, gonna, they're not going to be here for a long time. And I was like, I don't really want to sit in the middle of the woods with four cheeseburgers strapped to my back and get eaten by a bear in the middle of the night. So I was like, all right, I'm going to head back. And I was like, well, maybe... <laughs> Bait. Yeah, maybe they changed their mind and... um Whatever. So then I like I was like, well, uh, worst case scenario, I'll come back. So I hike back to my car. There's no sign of them. I drive my car back to Crawford, check in with Stomp to just be like, what's going on? Have you heard anything? And I can't remember what happened. I think you said that like, um, that Larson had mentioned said had reached out to you, but it was vague. So then me and Stomp decided we were both going to go back to Zealand and hike in. By that time, it was starting to pour out, so I was like, this is going to suck. <laughs> we drive over to Zeeland. We leave Crawford Notch. We figure, like... Back and forth. Yeah, worst case scenario, Larson's not going to be there before we get back. So we hiked back in. So I'd already gone a mile in and a mile back. So I'd already done two miles in the middle of the night. Then I hiked with Stomp. That was way more enjoyable because we were talking and having a good time. And then, sure enough, we get a little over about a mile and a half in right before the AZ Trail Junction, and we see the headlamp, and we were like, oh, there's Steve. So Steve sees us. He couldn't, um, he just couldn't eat anything, and he couldn't get any liquid in him, so he wasn't doing well. He was cramping up, so we were able to get him a drink. We were able to get him a cheeseburger, and he was able to make it out the last mile and a half, and then we got in the car, drove to Crawford Notch, and then Larson hadn't gotten there yet. And then within like probably what, 20 minutes or so, right? Larson's wife showed up and then yeah. he came out of the woods and it worked out perfect. Right, right. And then the discussion was what happens next? So Larson and his wife decided to just plug on and uh, we geared them up with wintry stuff, you know, you know, better socks and this and that. They had plenty of stuff to begin with, but, you know, Nobody really knew what the weather would hold because the the, the forecast was changing constantly. But uh, Larson and his, and his wife just started up trail at uh, 10 past uh, midnight to do a 20-mile presidential traverse overnight, which is just mind-blowing. And then Steve took the reins and tried to gather uh, some other recruits to come up and support them. So, you know, Mike and I, after we... We left uh, Crawford. We went over to Pinkham. Mike dropped off Steve at Pinkham Notch, and then I continued down to 19 Mile Brook, set up camp, and just crashed. I crashed and um, didn't wake up until like 6 in the morning. You know, and then some hikers started showing up. Brady showed up 
that next morning. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the chair zonking out and I hear, hey, you here supporting Larson? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. So this this runner comes over to me, um, Brady Bertram, I, I believe his last name yeah. is. He just puts his stuff on and he starts running north down 16 towards uh, the Dolly Cop junction there to get into Osgood, and boom, gone. So he ran all the way up there. And uh, then boom, Steve shows up in his car and Steve and I are just sitting there and... Uh, Geez, what time was it? It had to be, I don't know, sometime that morning, 9.30-ish, Larson, Brady, and Sarita. You you see them come around the bend, coming south down 16 towards us. I'm like, yeah, they made it. <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, maybe they spent 15, 20 minutes getting ready for the last leg, which would be what you and uh, your daughter did, 19 Mile Brook, yep. up over Wildcat and then Lost Pond Trail back to Joe Dodge. So we sent them off on their way. And um, long story short, they, they pulled in at 1.31 p.m. Unbelievable. It was such a great weekend. Yeah. His legs must have been killing coming down Wildcat Ridge. Like, that must have been so painful. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, geez. Yeah. And my folks showed up, too, which is wicked cool, because they showed up at the beginning and... Steve and Larson left 15 minutes earlier than expected. So my folks just missed them. My folks are so supportive. They're so great. Um, hikers themselves, and they got me into hiking and this and that. So I told them, you have to show up in time for this. So, you know, as they're making their way from Ashland to Pinkham Notch, Sarita gets a text saying, oh, they're on the way down. Like, are you kidding me? So I send a text to my folks, you got to get here quick. And uh, soon enough, they they showed up. So they were able to see the arrival. And uh, Brady and Larson showed up. And then, you know, I directed them over to the lodge and Larson tapped the building. So it's like bookends, solid bookends. So epic. Nice. All right. So you got a trademark, Lodge to Dodge. And then... uh That's... It's yeah. it's it's not mine anymore. It's it's the communities for sure. But you know what's interesting about this? I think that it won't be this regular commercial type of race. I think it's too difficult. I really do. I don't think yeah. it's going to be something that the average mountain runner can achieve. It's just too much. It's you know the like Larson said the technicality. It's just you know coming over kinsman ridge and then coming up old old bridal i mean it's brutal well it's 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 hot to hot with like the you know with bookends added to it that make it even more difficult yeah for sure you know we uh at the very end we did meet the holder of a lot of fastest known times in new hampshire who is about to embark upon the hundred mile wilderness so who knows? We may have another person to check it out, and I'm sure Steve's going to give it another go. I mean, you know, I personally couldn't live with a chip on my shoulder like that, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that'll be interesting. And then, just for so everybody's aware too, like this ended up being they weren't peak bagging every peak. It was like tagging. So when they got in the middle, they they were tagging the huts, but they weren't going over every peak, right? There's a backstory to that too. My original idea was to just bag the huts and to to do the routes between, um, you know, ravine over to 
Lonesome Lake and then to tag on Carter Hut. Steve took it up a notch and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add the huts, but I'm going to bag every single peak. So what happened on this adventure, Larson decided, you know, from the start of the presidentials to not bag the the summits of the Prezi. So basically, it's it's like this, it's in play at the moment. So the variation now is that the presidentials were not bagged. Uh, but, it, you know, and it came out to like 70 miles. I think with the extra summits, I think it adds up to like 75, maybe 77 miles. So there are some variations that uh, may come to fruition over time. So, <laughs> well, super cool. <laughs> congratulations, Stomp, and more, more, even more congratulations to everybody that participated, Larson and Steve, and <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. else that supported. That's awesome. And Lance, he was the one that uh, ascended with Larson and Steve. So yeah, well, we'll get him on with a, d- a deeper dive. But I think for the people that are listening, like you don't need to do this in one day. Like I do think the Lodge to Dodge would be a great option if you had like a three to five day section hike that you wanted to do where you wanted to knock off like a good part of the Appalachian Trail and you know stay in the huts a couple of nights. I think it's a great option. Before the search and rescue, I wanted to just give a shout out to people uh, or just sort of a a public service announcement to people. If you're looking for a hike that's not tied to like the 4,000 foot list or the 52 with a view list, I think I've mentioned this hike before, but don't sleep on the, is that a saying? Like don't sleep on something, right? Um, Green Mountain in Effingham, New Hampshire is a really cool hike that, um, that you can do. There's a fire tower up there. And um, I think I take the High Watch Trail is the name of it. So that is the the trailhead that you get to from. So if you're going up Route 16 before you get into um, like Ossipee. So you go through Ossipee, but before you get into like Tamworth in that area, you take Route 25, which takes you into like Freedom and, um, you know, all those little campgrounds that, that tie to Lake Ossipee. It's off of 25, and uh, it's called High Watch Road, I think, is where the trailhead is, and you can take the High Watch Trail. And Green Mountain is um, this really cool hike where it's got like these, it's sort of like got a Pacific Northwest vibe. It's got these sort of open forests that you hike through in a very wide trail, mm-hmm. um, a lot of roots on the on the trail, but you get up to a really cool fire tower that you can you can climb up, and it's like... I think the fire tower has got to be like probably 40, 50 feet up off the ground. It's really high, uh, but definitely worth checking out. And I think if you're looking for a good idea for a hike for the kids, something that's achievable for somebody that hasn't hiked a lot, Green Mountain in Effingham, New Hampshire is definitely worth checking out. So I'll put the GPS tracks on there. And you know, I just wanted to throw that in there because I drive by there all the time and I hike it every once in a while. And I was like, I got to give the audience a little heads up on this one because I don't think anybody pays attention to it. Yeah, You've never been on it, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, See? It's the first you I sleep, heard. You're sleeping on Green Mountain, Stomp. <laughs> I'm sleeping through life right now. You are. So a um, couple of national uh, stories here. So first one is um, on the Appalachian Trail Stomp. Have you seen those pictures of like um, that um, 
that iconic view of the the big ledge that people sit on. It's called McAfee yeah. Knob. Oh sure, yeah, that's, yeah. So yeah, frequently, it's, yeah, it's iconic. Like that's where that that Bill Bill Bryson who wrote that book, like that, that that's where the 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 cover is a picture of that. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really weird story, like a sad story, hiker fell fifty feet off of McAfee Knob. Um, as far as I can tell. Yeah, they have confirmed that uh, he passed away, unfortunately. But 23-year-old hiker fell about 50 feet off a McAfee knob. um, And it's considered one of the most photographed places on the Appalachian Trail. It's in Virginia. So um, the hiker's... Um, was a 23-year-old from the Netherlands. So he fell from the summit early on Sunday, May 29th. And um, the story that I've read is that for some reason he passed out very close to the edge. And they really don't know why he hmm. passed out. He had a sort of a fainting episode or something. He wasn't on the uh, the specific spot where everybody takes their photos, but he was somewhere along those ledges. It's very much like it sounds like it's very much like Boncliff. That like there's a very there's an iconic spot, but then there's a bunch of ledges that travel that you can travel along for a pretty far distance. And unfortunately, okay. he fell about fifty feet and suffered injuries that he wasn't able to survive. Wow! Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, um, and quite frankly, it's shocking that there's not more accidents at that place. Given how, like, I see people like sitting right on the edge of that pla- that place. Oh, constantly. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a yeah. rite of passage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the next one, matter of fact, I just read about this one today. Stomp is um, a kayak accident, um, kayaker's worst nightmare. So. Um, it looks like two of these kayakers, they were in a group, and unfortunately they went over um, a dam, and um, two of them are now missing. So it sounds mm-hmm. like it was some sort of a crazy accident, right? Yeah, in Richmond, yeah. 12-foot dam, high waters, a huge group, a dozen kayakers, and two went over this dam and have just disappeared. So they're feared dead. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Young, yeah. uh, young people. Yeah, even up here in New Hampshire, it's like it's a little too early to get into that water unless you're really protected with life vests and everything else, you know, body suits and everything else. The water's so damn cold, and it's moving fast still. Yeah, yeah, it's it's scary. I don't really have, like, I do a lot of kayaking, but it's always in, like, little ponds, so I'm not doing anything in moving water. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've not really gotten into the kayaking thing. My wife loves it, but... Uh, I prefer a plastic tube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stomp likes his um, blow-up rainbow dragon. unicorn dragon. <laughs> Going down the... the it's um, so true. Yeah. yeah. At, like a, at like one knot. Is that the proper term? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is <laughs> the um, knots. Is the penny float? Like, is it running too fast to do the float at this point? Or is it is it... Ready it, to go. You know, the other day it was pretty high. When I'm driving south towards Plymouth, I'll take a look to the right, and there's this one vantage that overlooks a, uh, a a small section of rapids, and the water had overtaken the beach that we usually stop at. So yeah, it's it's too early. Yeah, yeah. believe it or not, there's still some snow melting here and there, and uh, there's been quite a bit of rain. So. It's uh, a little bit risky getting out there right now. Yeah, I mean that that water, even in the hottest days, is like pretty cold. 
So I can only imagine how, how cold it is right now. Yeah. Although there have been reports from people I know that the ponds, the lakes are getting pretty warm. You know, if you go into certain alcoves that are sheltered from the bot and the main body of water, it's pretty warm and swimmable. Yeah, yeah. I was on our pond this weekend, um, and it was cold. Like when you first go in, it's cold. But then I was I was in up to like my knees and my thighs. Like I didn't go underwater, but like my legs got used to it very quickly. So I think I would have been fine if I wanted to swim. We had to put our dock out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's always an episode because it's like. It's never the right spot. Like I'll, my wife's like, put it out farther, put it to the left. You didn't put the the the, the uh, ladder facing the right way. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So you know, we need a video. Oh, it's always fun. This video out there, believe me, it's every year the annual like floating of the dock is always interesting. But um, all right, so this next one here is. Um, Hiker with no room to move clings to a cliff in California until rescue has arrived. So um, a hiker couldn't go any farther and was stuck clinging to the side of a cliff, California police say. So this kid is 22 years old from Orange, California. He was hiking on Saturday, May 28th um, on Cucamonga Peak in San Bernardino. And he was disoriented when clouds started to cover the sky, so he called for help. Um, the next day it says, yeah, yeah. So he was stuck out there for like a, a day. So rescuers went to help, but they couldn't get him because the clouds were just too low. So there was a crew that tried to get him a few hours later, but they just couldn't get through the clouds. And, um, I guess they made a third attempt and they were able to spot him. Um, but I guess they couldn't necessarily get him right away, but they were able to get, you know, they weren't able to get to him fully with a helicopter, but they were able to get some rescuers into the area um, that could reach him. So I guess they got him to slide down the cliff to get to the rescuers and a medic. So eventually he got to a point where they could hoist him safely into the helicopter and place him inside. Um, he wasn't injured, and I guess he was released, but it was a a 12-mile round-trip hike with about 43,000 feet of elevation gain. So no joke at all for the the type of hike this is but yeah um, cucamonga peak san bernardino california yeah that doesn't sound safe at all yeah four thousand three hundred foot elevation yeah jeez cucamonga (laughs) cucamonga who knew that's not where i'm making my last stand so Got to get out of there. All right. All so right. this next one. So now we're moving on to local <laughs> stuff here. So Welsh Dicky, there was a rescue stomp. Were you on Woo! this one? No, no, I was busy. I was tied <sighs> up at the moment. But uh, audience is going to be so disappointed. Oh well, what can you do? Yeah. So this, I've been on some, but not this one. Yeah, this one didn't look super exciting, but it was like um, May 20. So Tuesday morning, 11 a.m., which that's early for a rescue. I feel like rescues always happen in the afternoon, but. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Yeah, so this guy, leg injury, he fell in um, Waterville Valley. So I'm assuming it's a good and a bad thing. So midweek, you're probably going to get a decent response from like the conservation officers and any like fire department people. On duty, I would think. Sure. Uh, an interesting side story in this one. I was I was working at the time, and I got a text from two members that said, hey, we're doing Welch Dickey. You want to join us? I'm like, no, I can't make it. Sorry. Have fun. Be safe. 
and the alert came out for this mission and immediately I get a text from the two people that sent me the text in the morning and they're literally within like a hundred yards of the person. So talk about providence. That's neat when that happens and whether there are two rescuers literally right there on location when the mission happens. Yeah. So, yeah, I think according to the the report, you can read it, but uh, um, for the most part, they were able to get the person out without much issue. Yeah, yeah. So eleven o'clock, the call came in. The 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 the, the SAR team members just happened to be on there, and um, you know they got to the hiker within like a few minutes of the call, and they were able to stabilize the injury and just sort of wait around. So by the time the rescuers got up there, so the call came in eleven. They're there within 10, 15 minutes, and then, you know, they got a rescue team around 1 p.m., so they were able to take him down. It was about a two-mile hike or so? Yes. So he yeah. must have been pretty far up on the ledges, I would think. I think he was at the summit, from what I yeah. understand. Yeah. Uh, the text I got from my associates there were that they were just below the summit. Yeah, yeah, so they got him out around 3 o'clock, and... You know, that's not horrible, four hours up there. And, you know, the, he's a local 74-year-old gentleman local to Thornton. You know, he had hiked this this area quite a bit. So um, he was appropriately geared up for a day hike. So no no harm, no foul. It was just yeah. lower leg injury. And may I say that there were no rescues on our side this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, there was nothing. Like, how strange is that? And I have to say, the um, the trailheads during the Lodge to Dodge were pretty empty. Very strange. Like, where is everybody? We were talking about that this weekend because you, I drove up on on Friday. There was, like, a little bit of traffic on Route 16 coming up. Yeah. Uh, but nothing, like, compared to years past. Well, the and, COVID boom. Well, that's what I, that was my theory is what I said to, I was talking to my wife and, um, and my brother-in-law and I was like, I I think, and my brother-in-law's girlfriend, I was like, I think what's going on is that like so many people spent so much time for the last two, three years coming up North because of COVID, because there was no other options that I think that like the people that aren't crazy hikers or whatever, like they, they're sort of done with going up north, so maybe it's going to be less crowded this year. I don't know. Knock on wood. Yes. It sounds like a survey for Mr. Cannon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll, have to, we'll put that on the list, but I mean, it definitely was not as crowded, although it was pretty crowded on the trails where I was. There's no huh. doubt about it. It was There was a ton of people around. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean... It's early yet, but still, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, awesome. Next one here. So these, this goes to uh, May 29th. So around two fifteen. Um, this is on Mount Major in in Alton. So I've been over on Major a couple times. So, um, I guess there was a uh, injured hiker that was in need of assistance. On Mount Major, so there was some conservation officers, Alton Fire Department, Gilmanton Fire Department. They were able to get a um, ATV, UTV out there to reach an injured hiker near the summit. So that's interesting. So those trails are actually, I think, pretty passable with a um, motorized like off off road vehicle. So yeah. it sounds like they were able to get up there pretty far. Forty one year old hiker from Nashua, New Hampshire hiking with the family when she took a wrong step and suffered an injury that left her unable to hike down under her own power. 
Um, she was taken to the trailhead by UTV and transferred to an ambulance to Laconia Hospital. So I don't know what's going on here, but they said hikers should always familiarize themselves with the area and have a map to reference in case emergencies arise. Maybe she didn't know where she was. I don't know. Yeah, I saw that comment. Sort of interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I had to let uh, Daphne in. She was banging at the door. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hi, Daph. That dumb cat of yours. Um, <laughs> so this next one is um, Monadnock. So, um, oh, boy. Yeah, Sunday, May 29th. So same time the major's going on. Uh, around 12 o'clock, fishing game, were contacted by New Hampshire Fire Mutual Aid about an injured hiker on Monadnock. So White Dot Trail, which is the main trail going up, just above the inter- intersection with White Cross. So that's a pretty steep area right there. Mm-hmm. 71-year-old um, lady from Newton, Mass., fell approximately 20 feet and suffered serious injury. She must have fallen. like There's like a pretty steep section that goes down that that area so she must have fallen down this like there's a crevice that you can kind of follow down if it's what i'm thinking but she suffered a um serious injury to one side of her body and she lost consciousness for a significant amount of time as a result of the fall so she knocked herself out which is that's not a good thing so um i guess mountain patrol rangers with um they were able to reach her, and a sh- short time later, they were able to provide aid. So by like one thirty, a decision was made to request a medical hospital, uh, medical helicopter to transport her to a hospital because of the severity of her injuries. Wow. So, um, you know, there was some good Samaritans that carried her in a litter a short distance to a landing zone just below the summit. So they carried her up, and then uh, a Boston Med Flight helicopter arrived at two around two o'clock and transferred her to um, UMass Medical in Worcester. So kind of scary. Hopefully she's okay. There's no no follow-up info on how she's doing at this point. So still this trend with uh, some of the older individuals out there hiking. Quite a few lately. There's, there's a lot of older injuries at this point. So Yeah, it's very interesting. This must strike you as interesting because of your data collection over the years. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um, you know, I'd have to take another look at it, but I, I definitely saw a trend on older. There was an increase last year, and looks like into this year on older, um, older people getting in in trouble more. So I don't know what that is. I mean, obviously, like you know, you're prone to when you do have a, a minor injury, it probably is more likely that it could be a bigger deal. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to think. We need Martin Pazzani to explain it to us. Yes, hey. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, this next one is um, injured hiker rescued on Shelburne Basin Trail. I'm trying to figure out where that is. Shelburne Mariah? Oh, yeah. Vermont. Wait a minute. Wait. I'm not even sure where that is. So Gorham EMS. Yeah, yeah, no, I think area. it's the Shel- Shelburne Gura. So I think that's the other way to get to Shelburne Mariah, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, so a call was received um, for a hiker that was injured after falling on the Shelburne Basin Trail. Victim was identified as a 59-year-old from Virginia. After the call came in, a rescue effort was coordinated in conjunction with Gorham EMS a local campground owner and conservation officer. So it was reported that the hiker was a short hike 
went on a short hike to view a waterfall when the dog she was walking with pulled on the leash and caused her to lose footing on slick rocks, and she injured her ankle. So the husband rendered first aid in an attempt to self-extricate, um, but determined that the extent of the injury was too great. So local campground owner volunteered his UTV. So it sounds like she was only about a mile up the trail, so they were able to load her up. So they were able to get to her on the trail with a um, with a UTV and then load her up, and then she was transported to Androscoggin Valley Hospital. So a lot of like ATV UTV activity is that yeah is that like have you seen that change over the years with search and rescue? Is that like a are they more likely to try to see if they can get a ATV type vehicle in as far as possible? I don't think so. I think it's trail specific. I don't see any changes on our side of the state you know there are certain trails that let you get so far and then that's as far as you can get and great example would be garfield trail like there is a point that you cannot pass and that's where they park the atvs and then everybody continues on up trail so i just don't recall this trail being in the mix over the last year or two um but every trail has their limit (laughs) in terms of what they can do with these machines Otherwise, you're just stuck because you can't turn around properly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, there's definitely so. Like Mount Major is one of those trails where you can certainly get a wider vehicle up there, no problem. But there's just a lot of trails where you can't you can't maneuver. Yeah, for sure. So a little bit slow. I'm surprised there wasn't more rescues over the weekend. But like we said, like I don't, I I definitely saw a lot of people out on the trails. But maybe it's just. You know, maybe it's just a yeah. the calm before the storm. Yeah, I don't know. Even Pinkham Notch. I mean, usually that uh, that parking lot is packed. But I got a spot, like the first spot right there at the entry. So it was very quiet. Yeah, yeah. I was in there a couple of times. We stopped on the way to use the, uh, the, the restroom in there. So it was, yeah, it was crowded, but not super crowded. Like there was definitely spots that you could grab pretty close. So, yeah, I'm not complaining. Less yeah, people no that want to come up north. I mean, listen to, <laughs> listen to the podcast and get you fixed. Don't come up here and hike and bother us. Yeah, who knows where they are? Maybe they're just down south somewhere, floating or sailing or what? What? What do people do outside of New Hampshire? I don't know anymore. I don't know. I think they go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> That's true. They go to you know they've been going is Hampton Beach has been rioting lately. What do you mean rioting? Like the, oh, every Friday and Saturday night, because I live local. This like crazy, they'll be they put out a call and they'll be like, "Police, come to Hampton Beach! All towns, if you have extra police, there's riots at Hampton Beach. So oh let God. them all stay at Hampton, and we'll hike." <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's always been a rough part of town, huh? Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, but that's it. That's a wrap for sixty-one. Anything before we exit? That's a wrap. Let's let's. Get ready for an awesome summer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. 
Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.